Section 26 of Mark Twain's Autobiography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Henry H. Rogers, Florence, April 1906. Mr. Rogers has been visiting the witness stand periodically in Boston for more than a year now. For eleven years he has been my closest and most valuable friend. His wisdom and steadfastness saved my copyrights from being swallowed up in the wreck and ruin of Charles L. Webster and Company, and his commercial wisdom has protected my pocket ever since in those lucid intervals wherein I have been willing to listen to his counsels and abide by his advice, a thing which I do half the time, and half the time I don't. He is four years my junior, he is young in spirit and in looks, complexion and bearing, easy and graceful in his movements, kind-hearted, attractive, winning, a natural gentleman, the best-bred gentleman I have met on either side of the ocean in any rank of life, from the Kaiser of Germany down to the bootblack. He is affectionate, endowed with a fine quality of humor, and with his intimates he is a charming comrade. I am his principal intimate, and that is my idea of him. His mind is a bewildering spectacle to me when I see it dealing with vast business complexities like the affairs of the prodigious Standard Oil Trust the United States Steel, and the rest of the huge financial combinations of our time, for he and his millions are in them all, and his brain is a very large part of the machinery which keeps them alive and going. Many a time in the past eleven years my small and troublesome affairs have forced me to spend days and weeks of waiting time down in the city of New York, and my waiting refuge has been his private office in the Standard Oil Building, stretched out on a sofa behind his chair, observing his processes, smoking, reading, listening to his reasonings with the captains of industry, and intruding my advice where it was not invited, not desired, and in no instance adopted, so far as I remember. A patient man, I can say that for him. The private office was a spacious, high-ceilinged chamber on the eleventh floor of the Standard Oil Building, with large windows which looked out upon the moving life of the river, with the Colossus of Liberty, enlightening the world, holding up her torch in the distance. When I was not there it was a solitude, since in those intervals no one occupied the place except Mr. Rogers and his brilliant private secretary, Miss Catherine I. Harrison, whom he once called in on an emergency thirteen or fourteen years ago from among the seven hundred and fifty clerks laboring for the standard oil in the building. 
She was nineteen or twenty years old then, and did stenographic work and typewriting at the wage of that day, which was fifteen or twenty dollars a week. He has a sharp eye for capacity, and after trying Miss Harrison for a week, he promoted her to the post of chief of his private secretaries and raised her wages. She has held the post ever since. She has seen the building double its size and increase its clerical servants to 1,500, and her own salary climb to $10,000 a year. She is the only private secretary who sits in the sanctum. The others are in the next room and come at the bell call. Miss Harrison is alert, refined, well-read in the good literature of the day, is fond of paintings and buys them. She is a cyclopedia in whose head is written down the multitudinous details of Mr. Rogers' business order and system are a native gift with her. Mr. Rogers refers to her as he would to a book, and she responds with the desired information with a book's confidence and accuracy. Several times I have heard Mr. Rogers say that she is quite able to conduct his affairs substantially without his help. Necessarily Mr. Rogers' pecuniary aid was sought by his full share of men and women without capital who had ideas for sale, ideas worth millions if their exploitation could be put in charge of the right man. Mr. Rogers' share of these opportunities was so large that if he had received and conversed with all his applicants of that order, he might have made many millions per hour, it is true, but he would not have had half an hour left in the day for his own business. He could not see all of these people, therefore he saw none of them, for he was a fair and just man. For his protection his office was a kind of fortress with outworks, these outworks being several communicating rooms into which no one could get access without first passing through an outwork where several young colored men stood guard and carried in the cards and requests and brought back the regrets. Three of the communicating rooms were for consultations, and they were seldom unoccupied. Men sat in them waiting, men who were there by appointment, appointments not loosely specified, but specified by the minute hand of the clock. These rooms had ground-glass doors, and their privacy was in other ways protected and secured. Mr. Rogers consulted with a good many men in those rooms in the course of his day's work of six hours, and whether the matter in hand was small and simple or great and complicated, it was discussed and dispatched with marvelous celerity. Every day these consultations supplied a plenty of vexations and exasperations for Mr. Rogers, I know this quite well, 
but if ever they found revealment in his face or manner it could not have been for only a moment or two for the signs were gone when he re-entered his private office and he was always his brisk and cheerful self again and ready to be chaffed and joked and reply in kind his spirit was often heavily burdened necessarily but it cast no shadow and those about him sat always in the sunshine sometimes the value of his securities went down by the million day after day sometimes they went up as fast but no matter which it was the face and bearing exhibited by him were only proper to a rising market several times every day miss harrison had to act in a diplomatic capacity men called whose position in the world was such that they could not be dismissed with the formula engaged along with mr rogers regrets and to these miss harrison went out and explained pleasantly and tactfully and sent them away comfortable mr rogers transacted a vast amount of business during his six hours daily but there always seemed time enough in the six hours for it that boston gas lawsuit came on at a bad time for mr rogers for his health was poor and remained so during several months every now and then he had to stay in his country house at fairhaven massachusetts a week or two at a time leaving his business in miss harrison's hands and conferring her once or twice daily by long-distance telephone to prepare himself for the witness-stand was not an easy thing but the materials for it were to be had for mr rogers never destroyed a piece of paper that had writing on it and as he was a methodical man he had ways of tracing out any paper he needed no matter how old it might be the papers needed in the gas unit wherein mr rogers was sued for several millions of dollars went back in date a good many years and were numberable by the hundreds but miss harrison ferreted them all out from the stacks and bales of documents in the standard oil vaults and caused them to be listed and annotated by the other secretaries this work cost weeks of constant labor but it left mr rogers in shape to establish for himself an unsurpassable reputation as a witness i wish to make a momentary digression here and call up an illustration of what i have been saying about mr rogers habits in the matter of order and system when he was a young man of twenty-four out in the oil regions of pennsylvania and straitened in means he had some business relations with another young man time went on they separated and lost sight of each other after a lapse of twenty years this man's card came in one day and mr rogers had him brought into the private office the man showed age his clothes showed that he was not prosperous and his speech and manner indicated that 
hard luck had soured him toward the world and the fates. He brought a bill against Mr. Rogers, oral in form, for $1,500, a bill thirty years old. Mr. Rogers drew the check and gave it to him, saying he could not allow him to lose it, though he almost deserved to lose it for risking the claim thirty years without presenting it. When he was gone, Mr. Rogers said, My memory is better than his. I paid the money at the time. Knowing this, I know I took a receipt, although I do not remember that detail. To satisfy myself that I have not been careless, I will have that receipt searched out. It took a day or two, but it was found, and I saw it. Then it was sent back to its place again among the archives. End of section 26. Henry H. Rogers. Florence, April 1904.